You are listening to Event Extra, part of the U.S. Institute of Peace podcast network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Let me introduce us. You're Aisha Tanzim, the Director of Voice of America South and Central Asia Division, and a former Bureau Chief for Afghanistan and Pakistan, and I'm Adam Gallagher, Managing Editor for USIP.org. One of Afghanistan's biggest achievements following the toppling of the Taliban in 2001 was the vast expansion of freedom of expression and the emergence of a vibrant free press. I remember working as a media analyst on a contract with the U.S. Embassy in Kabul in 2013 and being amazed by the wide array of strong, independent media organizations that we followed. But just as we have seen a significant rollback of women's rights, Another key achievement in the 2001 to 2021 period, the Taliban's August 2021 takeover has been followed by severe repression of the media. Aisha, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what Afghanistan's media landscape was like before the Taliban takeover and where we're at today. Thank you for having me, Adam. So yes, before the Taliban takeover, Afghanistan had a vibrant media landscape. It wasn't perfect, of course. I mean, 20 years is not enough to build a perfectly working uh, democracy or media. Um, So it had a lot of problems, but at the same time, it was a vibrant media. Journalists felt empowered. They felt like they could ask tough questions. They felt like they could hold their government accountable. There were a lot of strong female journalists anchors, reporters, even some camera persons. Uh, And I interacted with a lot of them in my uh, seven to eight years of uh, traveling in Afghanistan. And uh, since the fall of Kabul, Afghanistan has, according to figures by Reporters Without Borders, lost 40% of its media houses, 60% of its journalists overall, more than 75% of its female journalists. Um, And in most of the country, except capital Kabul, female journalists have been nearly eliminated. Um, And uh, today, in the last year and a half, the Taliban have issued a series of decrees, uh, most official but many unofficial rules that have made it almost impossible for journalists living and working inside Afghanistan to do good uh, independent journalism or any kind of meaningful reporting. So I haven't talked to a single Afghan journalist lately who's living in the country who's not heavily Uh, Mm self-censoring. The decrees are so vaguely worded that any news story can be picked up and can be uh, deemed as in violation of a rule somewhere. Uh, so uh, some of the rules are uh, you cannot criticize the Taliban, you have to call them Islamic Emirate, cannot criticize their policies or their government officials. But there are also these weird rules like do not report on something that demoralizes the public. And how do you even define that? If I do a right. story on children starving, is that demoralizing the public? You know, you've noted that many of them have just particularly in the country are just self-censoring. But how has Afghan media sought to fight back? And I think another question that's vital connected to this is why is their work so critical now in this period of Taliban rule? The Afghan media is very resilient and we see it every day, even in this environment, when we go and talk to people, they want to speak up and they want to be heard. That's Afghan nature. So Afghan media has fought back in three ways. One is even within countries, uh, the media that's uh, working there is still trying to give people news. What happened? 
uh, how many people are dying of cold or hunger, what percentage of the population is facing poverty, when is aid coming, etc. But when it gets to more critical uh, coverage, the journalists sitting outside the country, they still have their uh, sources. They have family and friends inside the country, even sources in the old bureaucracy, in the government infrastructure, some of which is still surviving and the Taliban are keeping the old people. So they have their sources. So they're getting information. A lot of people have started their own YouTube channels. And I'm talking about Afghan journalists, these well-trained journalists who were forced to flee the country post the Taliban takeover. A lot of them have started their own websites, social uh, YouTube channels, social media pages, and a lot of robust journalism is happening that way. And the third element is international media organizations like uh, VOA and others like BBC, Deutsche Welle, RFPRL. Um, they are have now shifted to um, modes of delivery that are outside the control of Taliban. So, for example, when the Taliban shut down our TV um, uh, TV program on local Afghan channels, VOA started a 24-7 satellite TV channel in Dari and Pashto going to Afghanistan. And uh, we have indications that it has really good reception among the Afghan population. Same with the radio shows. When Taliban shut down our FM stations um, inside Afghanistan, we moved to shortwave and medium wave from, uh, you know, boosters um, uh, and transmitters in Central Asia. And social media is where a lot of good journalism is happening vis-a-vis -vis Afghanistan because uh, the Taliban don't have the uh, resources or means right now to shut down social media unless they shut down the internet. And... Um, uh, a lot of people are posting a lot of things on social media. Can you talk a little bit about how the international community can help to protect media freedom, particularly the United States? And maybe talk a little bit if there's any examples that you can think of from other contexts of what's worked in helping protect media freedom in such an oppressive environment. International media organizations like mine, VOA, and others, uh, BBC, Deutsche Welle, RFERL, we have decades of experience of working in uh, dictatorship, oppressive regimes, places where journalism is uh, censored. And uh, we are using that experience to work in Afghanistan, but also in terms of content, wherever we see a vacuum. So Afghan media uh, used to hold the government accountable. Uh, the current media cannot do so as forcefully under the Taliban regime. We try to do it. So we invite Taliban officials on our TV shows. For example, this one show comes to mind on women's rights and the girls' rights to go to school. We had Taliban spokesman Zabiullah Mujahid. Encountering him, we had strong uh, Afghan female politician Shukriya Baraksai. Um, and, you know, they were arguing with each other. Similarly, all the other voices that have been eliminated um in uh, local Afghan media. So women, activists, musicians, artists, everybody who's lost their voices there, we are trying to give them a platform. One follow-up question, I think, to, to close on, that I think your point about uh, bringing Taliban spokesmen on to, to have conversations and essentially arguments with with Afghan politicians, you know, do you see any daylight with the Taliban in terms of opening up the media landscape at all, if they're willing to do something like this, or, you know, 
even them being convinced of the value of having a more freedom of open media, even in terms of what it means for their international perception? Two things. One is uh, that I, uh, the Taliban recently told NGOs not to allow women to work. And a lot of NGOs said, OK, fine, then we are wrapping up. We're not going to work. And then in the last day or two, apparently enough international pressure was brought upon the Taliban that they've backed out. And I was reading that a couple of NGOs have said that they've received assurances from Taliban that their female workers will be allowed to work. Therefore, huh. they're going back into Afghanistan. So what that indicates is that uh, if everybody joins hands, no single country, no single uh, international organization or NGO can do it. But if everybody joins hands, the Taliban need the international community. They need financial support. They need humanitarian aid. So if everybody holds hands, they can push back and the Taliban will listen. The other thing is that we recently saw OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, uh, do a session on Afghanistan and issue statements condemning the Taliban decision to ban women in NGO and ban women from universities. And the Taliban are drawing their uh, power and support from Islamic Sharia, in particular Sunni Hanafi Sharia. So there, when a Muslim majority countries join hand and issue a statement, it's extremely powerful. I really appreciate you joining us today and talking about this dire situation, but also providing a little bit of a glimmer of hope as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, Aisha. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Event Extra. If you'd like to listen to more one-on-one -on -one interviews or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcast.